This episode of World Changing Ideas is brought to you by Verizon, the network America relies on. I'm Talib Vizram, and you're listening to Fast Break, your weekly source of inspiration and motivation in these uncertain times. This week, we are reporting from the Fast Company Innovation Festival. We'll be bringing you daily episodes where we'll dive into the biggest themes of the week and highlights from some of the most creative minds in tech, science, and entertainment speaking at the festival. Since the festival is entirely virtual this year, you can attend no matter where you are, and tickets are still available. For more information on where to get tickets, check out events.fastcompany.com. Today at the Innovation Festival, we heard a lot about the future of media. From film and television to music and social media, 2020 has only heightened the effects on already rapidly changing industries. Innovation in media has never been more important, and that was certainly on the minds of some of our Innovation Festival speakers. We start with Robert Downey Jr. and his wife, Susan Downey. They created their film production company, Team Downey, a decade ago. Fast Company Editor-in-Chief Stephanie Mehta chatted with them about creativity and storytelling in a constantly changing media landscape. Both of you have talked a little bit about projects that have been put on hold, other projects that have been occupying your time during the pandemic. For either of you, what's your prediction about what Hollywood is going to look like when we come out on whatever the other side of this looks like? Um, will people go back to the movies? Will people sit in, in movie theaters and, and, and buy popcorn and sit cheek to jowl and, and be entertained? <laughs> Well, what's amazing to me, just to take North America as a example, is it's so odd to me how perfectly split the sensibilities are for most of the, the citizens, you know, whether you're more conservative or progressive. I think that there's a natural and understandable hesitance to want to go back into the, the, the time before but again, this is when innovation always, always, always comes and, and saves the day. So I think whatever technology best suits accommodating a variety of options for seeing first run movies is probably going to be the next big winner, much as without trying, but by having built out the space that just happened to fit the moment, it's why the Netflix and the streamers and all that have seen such amazing success. I'm sure this is not the way they wanted it, but uh, success is success. The other thing that has been a, a through line through our conversation thus far has been a conversation about the right people and talent. I'd love to talk a little bit about the culture you're trying to build at Team Downey. Susan, you spent a lot of time working on the business side in Hollywood. I'm sure you've seen the good and the bad of, of Hollywood culture. What kind of workplace are you trying to create for Team Downey? Well, I think for us, what again, coming about it less strategically and more just naturally and organically, we are kind of a mom and pop organization. Doesn't mean that the scope of what we do is small. It just means the way in which we do it is very hands-on. You know, back to like an earlier question, when we first 
did this company, I, I think at the time I was like, oh, look, I know how to do this. I know how to do three movies a year. I, I can, we can get stuff going all the time. And, and, you know, then I got this brilliant, crazy, you know, left of center mind and he'll come in and sprinkle fairy dust on it and we'll be able to do like all this stuff. And then you realize, man, there's only so many hours in the day. You know, then you have two kids and uh, I have a stepson, so he has three kids. So it's like, do you realize like when you are putting yourself into a project and as he said earlier, we've been saying like, we're all in. And so you look at bandwidth and you ultimately realize like, if you're going to take time to do something, you have to love it. And you have to be willing to know that that's where those hours are going to go because they're not going to go to something else. And so I think the culture that has evolved as a result is that we have a very small group that, uh, you know, is, is all in is this is when you do what we do, it, it is your life. It, it, and that, I mean, obviously we're married too, so that, that plays into it, but there aren't, you know, you're not punching a clock. And I think that we're also fairly independent, even though we do stuff together and the people we have working for us, we're doing it collectively. Everybody's very proactive within what they're doing. And then we come together. And so it's encouraging that it's encouraging people to be proactive, to have the confidence to represent us, to have the confidence to make choices. But the key thing, I think the three key things, whether you're on a set or in a relationship or have a company together is you need communication, you need trust and you need respect. And to me, those are the, those are the pillars. Those are the foundational pillars. Um, And if you have those three things with the people that you're working with, then hopefully if nothing else, the experience will be good because that, that is so much you can. Because sometimes, yeah. I mean, I will say the kind of culture that has wound up happening. So let's pretend it was intentional. <laughs> Some people dig in deeper and they become lifers. Some people decide I've learned a lot here. Thank you. I now mm-hmm. really know that what I want to do is over there. Yeah. And some people use their time here to get a skill set going that then leads them out to where now we're watching the movies they're writing or we're seeing the show that they did when we're like, oh, wow, that was a, she, she was an intern. She was really cool. She didn't tell us she was, and now she's got her, and we go, great. So it really is a little bit of an incubation thing. But again, yeah. it is the opposite of old school Hollywood, which yeah. is a work death syndrome gulag, where you are stuck in a job that seems cool on the surface, but there's no, there's no trajectory toward actually not needing the production company and all of its facilities to thrive. The music industry is often viewed through a business lens, but at its core, it's still about the connection between the artists and their audience. Media entrepreneur Scooter Braun sat down with Grammy-nominated singer-songwriter Jesse Reyes and Shara Senderoff, president of Raised in Space. They discussed how data tools can help artists grow their fan bases and why the arts can help make the world a better place. Here, Scooter explains why he initially got into the music business. I started in this because I just really like music. And I think for me, it's a business because nobody shows up other than maybe the Canadians who give money to the arts. But no one shows up in this country and just gives you millions and millions of dollars to make the society a better place. You know, and arts do that. You know, if we had more art in school, maybe we wouldn't be in the position we're in right now in the United States. So 
For me, you have to use this data, you have to use this business to get more money into people like Jesse so they can make our, our society a better place. So I want to be clear. It isn't that I see the business as we are a business and we need to go make money and that's what this is about. To me, it's we are a business so that people like Jesse can do what they do. And technology has always shaped the music industry. Radio was the reason we have a music industry because they created the radio and suddenly there was a way to monetize and it was a way to travel music around. Someone from Toronto would have had a real hard time breaking globally before the internet came along. You'd have to first work the Canadian market, then you slowly go down in the US, hope you could break there. And, then, and now because of the internet, you're seeing acts break around the world overnight. And what became really interesting is when this guy, Steve Jobs, created this little thing we hold in our hand. And we started getting most of our content from smartphones and iPhones, and then it became very intimate. You know, so you started making content in a different way because you realized you weren't selling to 100,000 people in a room like people see the clicks. You're selling to one individual having intimate experience on a small screen. Mm -hmm. So to me, technology, we adapt to it and we turn it into a business only to create connection. For me, it was a DJ Clue mixtape. For my dad, it was some vinyl. You know, for some kid today, it may be a video on YouTube or something that they, you know, they saw through a friend. But technology is just a way to what I call create discovery. And, and then feed the arts. It's not the other way around. The arts should be feeding the business. It should be the other way around. Um, so, you know, when you talk about all this, what COVID ultimately has created is an opportunity for us to slow down and innovate in every way. Our society, our thoughts, our dreams, and the biggest travesty would be to have us come back to normal and have nothing change. When it comes to measuring audience engagement, media companies have started turning to new data analytics. Shara explains how Raised in Space is investing in one particular company to help it track crowd development. A lot of times people forget that we're in a business and the business is about how we use technology to scale other areas of our businesses. So when you look at a platform like Autogen, which simply put, is a data platform that allows us to aggregate our audiences from all platforms so that for the first time ever we don't have to be locked into the silos of the social networks but we can aggregate our audiences in one place and we can clean them so they're not full of bots auto loaders and duplicates and we can actually reach our fans so when we look at our rosters and and jesse looks at her audience what percentage of those people are real and the people you actually want to reach within them are the real ones because the real ones really care about listening to your music they care about buying your ticket they care about buying your sweatshirt so what we've looked at in autogen and why we made the investment is it allows us to better target people who frankly want our products and at the end of the day that's really what it's about it's not about going in and, and and really like playing with data. Data's gotten kind of this really negative reputation recently. This is more about really connecting almost in a similar way as community, using, using data and insights to go direct to fans. This episode of World Changing Ideas is brought to you by Verizon, the network you can rely on for your phone and for your home internet. Find the plan that's right for you at verizon.com. Amid the run-up to the election, social media platforms are gearing up to combat the spread of false information. Twitter Chief Design Officer Dantley Davis talked with Fast Company senior writer Mark Wilson about how the social network company plans to battle misinformation this election season and how it's also working on ways to design for more inclusivity on the platform. 
pedantly dives in by discussing Twitter's main goals. The challenge that we have at Twitter is not only being a platform for um, late breaking news and what's happening in the world, but also providing a voice to um, a whole host of people with different perspectives and point of view. And oftentimes that means that there's, there's flashpoints. Um, and we're, uh, just like many other companies, trying to figure out how to provide balance and enable people to share uh, their authentic selves and engage with community and also do that in a very healthy and respectful way. The concept of inclusivity has never been more critical, and it's something Twitter is committed to making part of its design going forward. Mark was curious about how the company intends to follow through on that. Talk to me about design for everyone. <laughs> well, you know, the platform that we're building is, is inherently designed for everyone, given this open communication tool for the internet. But increasingly, um, we're having to make some decisions on types of people that we don't want on the platform. And those are the people that cause abuse and bully and just uh, uh, participate in toxic behavior. Um, it's, it's not uh, lost on me that there are some politicians on our platform that also engage in, in this effort. And, and it's a challenge to figure out the balance of enabling uh, that conversation to be part of the public record uh, versus, and uh, allowing um, information and context to be given to our community um, when um, those individuals have, have crossed the line. In terms of how we think about design, I've been focused on ensuring that the design team is representative of all the people in the world that use our platforms. So as we're making decisions um, that impact our customers who uh, are representative of a global audience, that those points of views are also in consideration as we're thinking about new features and new ideas. Um, and only, only through uh, uh, diversity of the folks who are participating in the actual design process do I think that we'll actually succeed in the prospect of making a platform for everyone. Since interference in the 2016 election, lawmakers and activists have pushed social media companies to create mechanisms that will safeguard how users share information. Here, Mark asked Dantley how Twitter plans to carry this out over the next few months. How much work are you doing on the platform sort of in response to election-oriented issues right now versus how much is that sort of set and are you thinking off into the future about, you know, about everything next? All the above. Yeah, <laughs> yeah as it pertains that was a good to... Way, that was a good non-answer. <laughs> To, to get into the specifics, and, and, and uh, we are thinking about current um, state of affairs and, and post-election. And a lot of the challenges, um, as, as you all could probably appreciate, might happen after, after the election. And so we're thinking about um, uh, how information, misinformation is shared on a platform, uh, continuing to experiment on new ways to identifying and, and de-amplifying misinformation, uh, providing new experiences for our customers to even think about why they might share an experience. Uh, we uh, tweeted out last week that we had an experiment where someone, when someone shared a link, we asked if they actually read it before they shared it. And um, the, the metrics were pretty interesting. And we had 40% uh, uh, of those folks who actually went and read the article before they actually shared the link. And it just showed that, you know, People are incentivized in some cases by headlines 
and they might not have the time or wherewithal to dig a little deeper to understand the context of the information that they're sharing. So we're continuing to do that work now. Uh, we have a whole- By the way, that, I got that, that prompt a couple of weeks ago. Um, I'm pretty good about reading articles before I share them because I, I don't want my sort of reputation as a journalist to suffer on a bad you know, retweet or something but I totally hadn't read the article and it totally nailed me. Uh, and I did read it and it was cool uh, and I shared it, but uh, it, it worked. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, we have a whole team focused on election integrity, uh, ensuring that external actors aren't using our platform for nefarious purposes. So that will continue. And you know, beyond the election, we're also thinking about how we can provide more balance to the conversation um, and that happens in a host of ways, both in terms of continuing work on misinformation, us thinking about how we can make our policies more transparent in the product. So it's not just a blog post, but it's integrated into the product. Uh, more remediation steps for our customers when they do find um, information that, that might be misleading. So it's an ongoing effort. And health is what we call health of our platform is our number one priority. Um, so all of our, our efforts now and, and beyond the election is focused on creating a more healthy Twitter. That's it for today. We'll be back tomorrow with more highlights from the festival. But if you want to tune in to the full schedule of events, check out events.fastcompany.com and click on buy tickets. You can subscribe to Fast Break on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. If you like this show, please leave us a rating or a review. Thanks for joining us. I'm Talib Vizram.